morning. <laughs> How's everybody doing? Pretty good, 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 good. It's always good to be here, especially on uh, a combined service. I love when our two campuses get to come together as one family and worship together. And just while I was playing the drums back there, I was just thinking of how, how truly blessed we are to be one church that meets at two locations. And for, you know, being a rural multi-site church is something that typically doesn't happen very often. It's not something that uh, is very uh, prominent in the, in the Americas today. And, and it's becoming more so, but right now it's not. But it's so awesome, and we're so blessed as a church. And, and for us to be a, a successful multi-site church in a rural area like this is, is staggering. So uh, I'm just uh, so excited to be here on this day and so glad that I was able to, to bring the message today. Um, I got super full during um, the holiday, all the turkey that I ate. Did anybody eat too much turkey? Yeah. <laughs> Is anybody still eating turkey sandwiches as we speak? Like uh, that's what's for lunch after, after church service. We got turkey and stuffing and, and all that. Man, I'm telling you, I ate so much pie. Alvin and I bought so many pies from Kroger. Those Marie Callender pies, you know what I'm talking about? These things are dangerous, guys, all right? I ate way too much of this, uh, the coconut cream pie. We took it to her mother's house for the dinner there, and <laughs> I was being pretty stingy. Um, I, I took the rest of it home with me. I was like, I ain't leaving this here. This is coming home with me. So I kind of hid it, put it back in its box, and the coconut cream pie came back home with me. And uh, I plan on finishing that off later this evening. But, you know, so that's going to be that's going to be nice. But uh, I, I had a really awesome holiday. I hope you guys did as well. Uh, just spending time with family. That's what it's mainly about, you know, being able to. And so together today we get to spend time with family as well. Um, for the past uh, three weeks, we've been talking about man overboard. Uh, Pastor Ben's been doing an awesome, awesome job bringing a series of messages about boats in the Bible. And. You know, reading through the Bible, for me, I've noticed the boats. You know, that was typically their main form of, or mode of transportation at this time. And so you notice the boats, but I don't know why. It's never really occurred to me the amount of times that people are either thrown overboard or there's like a mention of a shipwreck or, I mean, it's like a lot in there. And it's just been mind-blowing to me seeing all these different occurrences that have been happening. And last week, Pastor Ben brought an awesome message out of Luke chapter 5 about how Peter, um, he did something different for a change. He, he, he cast his nets in a time that he typically doesn't do, and God blessed him. And out of doing something different that he typically doesn't do, God blessed him immensely. So much so that he filled his boats full of fish, so much that he filled boats, plural, and they started to sink. There were so many fish on the boat. And Pastor Ben talked about how sometimes when we're blessed as a people, we typically will hoard that blessing like I did the coconut cream pie for ourselves. Instead of sharing that blessing with other people, and he said something last week that really struck my heart is that God blesses us so that we can bless others. And so that's an amazing thing to think about, an amazing principle to add into your daily life and to your Christian life. We also discussed... <clears throat> how when God tells us to do something as a people group, sometimes it's scary, sometimes it's not uh, comfortable, sometimes it doesn't feel right, sometimes it doesn't feel good to do it, but we ought to what? Does anybody remember what he said? Who? Do it anyway. Very good. 
So last week he asked us to just do it anyway, because sometimes God's going to tell us to do things that doesn't make sense. And like I said earlier, it's not going to be comfortable. So we got to do it anyway. When God calls you to do something, just do it anyway. Even though you don't want to do it, do it anyway, because you're going to have blessings like Peter did. So awesome job, Pastor Ben. Hats off to you. Always do a great job. Love it, love it, love it. Uh, we're going to be talking about this week the classic man overboard story. Does anybody know what that is in the Bible? Classic man overboard. I see people mouthing it. You're afraid to say it out loud. But yes, it is Jonah. So we're going to read uh, the first chapter of Jonah. I won't have you stand because it is uh, a little bit on the long side. Um, and then we'll pray after that, okay? And this is out of the NLT version I have here. It says this, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Uh-oh, <laughs> that's not good. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the, de oops, sorry, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And the sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned, and since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, What should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. O oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. O oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up, threw him into the raging sea. Somebody say, man overboard. Man and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. 
Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this story. God, I, I remember as a child hearing this story in Sunday school, being taught this by our older Sunday school teachers and, and learning the principles as a young child. God, I'm so grateful today that it speaks to me in a whole different way. And that every time I read it, I seem to get a new treasure from it. So God, I, I asked you that you would help me bring across something that will pierce the hearts of, of everyone here today. God, help us to, to understand your word and to hear what you're truly speaking to us today. God, we love you so much and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Nineveh falling, <laughs> a great city, you know. Nineveh, he talks about, and God even says in the second verse, of the first chapter there that we read, he says that he refers to Nineveh as a great city, a city that is huge. It takes three days to walk it and see it all. It's, it's a massive city. And obviously they've been blessed by God, and he's put his hand upon them because they're prospering. Things are happening well for them. All these different awesome things are going on. People are coming there to do business from everywhere. And, uh, and that's still going on today. I checked in on that, and people are still actually going to this area for, for business today. And God has just really blessed this place. And he looks and he sees a great city that he has been blessing and that he has loved for so long, and he sees them, and they're not doing what he wants them to do. They're turning from God. They're, they're doing things that are against his will, things that he doesn't want them to do. And so he looks at them, and I imagine his heart absolutely breaks. I don't have children of my own, but I imagine that some of you who do have children, you raise up these kids to do exactly what you want them to do, and then you see them doing things that you taught them not to do. And I can only imagine how your heart feels in that moment when you see them. I know it's probably much like I see our youth group. If I see one of our youth group kids doing something that I know they ought not do, it breaks my heart. And so I imagine God's heart is breaking for this great city that he obviously loves and he's, and he's thinking a lot about because he's sending, you know, Jonah to go talk to them. And so here they are, not doing what he wants to do, and God knows the future of this city. He knows that, that they're going to become Iraq eventually. You know, he knows that this area is going to be northern Iraq. He knows that Al-Qaeda and all these different things are going to be coming through there. He knows the bloodshed that's coming, but still... He sees them, and he wants to give them a warning. He wants to give them an opportunity to repent. <coughs> Aren't you thankful today that God can look at something so awful, so dirty, and I think about myself as an example, just something that does not deserve grace, but he does it anyway. Amen. Isn't that amazing to think that we have a God that loves us so much that no matter if we are doing exactly what he asks us not to do, he loves us anyway. and He gave his son anyway. And he done all these things for us anyway, and it doesn't matter because he's just going to continue to pursue us. And, and I love that so much. He looks at this city, a city of 120,000 people, it states later in the, in the book of Jonah. 120,000 people, not including the animals, not including the other things that God had created in that area, but 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. And so he, he looks around, and he doesn't find a single person, I imagine, because he has to go outside of Nineveh to Jonah to get him to come into Nineveh and speak to them. 
So in my mind, I'm thinking, was there not a single person in Nineveh that he could have asked? Is there not a single person, God, here that could, that could go and meet what you were trying to do? Is there not a single Christian and not a single godly person that can go and do this? You had to go outside to Jonah, to, to someone who's righteous outside of Nineveh. And so my mind started to wheel and turn, and, and, and I started to think about that, and it just absolutely blew my mind. And, the, and the, you know, it's kind of like today in our, in our society, you know, a lot of times if you're in an area and you try to reach out and reach people, people think about your past, don't they? They think about the things that you used to do. Oh, I can't listen to them because they used to act like this, and you have a stigma about you in a small town, don't you? Your reputation follows you wherever you go. It's hard to get rid of it, really. And so how in the world could people trust you if you were one day doing this, but now you're talking about God? Now, I'm thinking about Frankie right now. Me and Frankie grew up, went to school together, and I probably wasn't the best kid in the world was a Frankie. <laughs> I can't, I mean, it just blows my mind that he's sitting in a congregation where I'm preaching a sermon. That just blows my mind. God can do amazing things, but Frankie, I hope, I hope you're not thinking, well, this guy's an idiot. I know what he used to do. But, <laughs> but that's the kind of situation that we're in right now, you know? And, and so Jonah, outside the city, he has to come in, and he's this upright, righteous dude, right? But what's he do? He turns and runs. He does what he ought not do. And so it just kind of, I got to thinking, like, why, why would God choose somebody who he knows is going to run away, even though, you know, he, here's Nineveh doing what they're not supposed to do. Why would he choose a man that's not going to listen? And then I got to thinking about the people on the ship, the sailors on the ship, how they were praying to other gods. They were reaching out to all these different things, trying to save their lives in this moment of a storm in their life, reaching out to all these different people. And I'm thinking, they're lost. They don't have God in their life. They're praying to so many different people. They're trying so many different things to fill a gap in their heart. How many times today do we see in our lives and in our society that people are trying to feed their hearts and their minds and their time with so many different things that will just occupy them, but they're not actually getting any joy or they're not getting any feeling from it because God's not in it. And, you know, they're searching for God, but they don't know they're searching for God. They're just searching for something, and they'll try to fill these needs with everything. And so these sailors are on this ship, and they're just thinking it's status quo. We're going to make this, you know, trip over again, and no big deal. But then a man named Jonah gets on, and the, sh and the storm comes, and the craziest things start happening, and people start getting all, you know how in a moment of fear and terror you get real you know, scared, and then you make decisions that you probably wouldn't make, but, and then Jonah tells him about his God, the God who created the sea and the land and everything, and he says, if you toss me in, everything's going to be fine, that everything will just calm right down, and they do it, and it happens, and then a whole ship of sailors give their life to Jesus, give their life to God. So I think in my mind, I think God chose Jonah because he knew that this ship full of people were lost and headed to hell, and he wanted him to go and reach them first before he came back to Nineveh. Because God was going to have happen what he wanted to have happen anyway. And I just love things. It just blew my mind. I'd never thought about that before, and I was so, I was so grateful. So anyway, he goes in, he, they throw him into the sea, the great fish, everybody, we call it a whale, right? The whale comes, 
and it swallows him. God tells the whale to go, and it struck me again, something else I'd never thought of. <laughs> Are we the only creation that God has created that just will willingly not do what he asks us to do? You know, the wind did exactly what he told it to do. It came across the sea and started a huge storm, and the sea calmed right down when he told it to, and the fish came right when he told it to to swallow Jonah. And but all of these people who he created in his image refused to listen to his voice and refused to do what he asked it to do. And it just that absolutely wrecked my world. I was sitting there reading that in the office last night, and I was like, whoa, how have I never seen that? That even the whales and the, and, the, and the elements of the world will listen to God, but we refuse. We sit idly by. So Jonah, after being spit out onto the shore, God speaks to him again and says, Listen, you, you're going to Nineveh. Go and preach to them and tell them that I'm going to destroy them in 40 days. Go tell them. And so he goes, and as soon as he enters into the city, he begins to pray. And Pastor Ben was telling us about how Peter preached his first sermon and how many people were saved. Does anybody remember how many? 3,000 3, people were saved. And I was like, man, that's crazy, right? That's amazing, 3,000 people. Could you imagine 3,000 people giving their life to Jesus after you do a sermon? That would be a good day. But then Jonah walks into Nineveh, a city of 120,000 people, and he starts to preach and it's amazing how God is doing a work in this place because every single one of them, every single one of them turn from their evil ways and they repent. That's 120,000 people that go to God in one single day. And it says this in Jonah chapter 3, When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. 120,000 people turn from their evil ways and give their life to God because someone went and did what God asked them to do. It wasn't that Jonah was the most eloquent speaker. It wasn't that. It wasn't that Jonah was the most blessed human being. It wasn't that. It wasn't that Jonah was the most righteous and that he listened to God the most because we know better. He didn't listen to God. But still, just simply going and doing what God asked him to do, saying what God asked him to say, resulted in 120,000 people turning from evil and doing the right thing and fasting. That's an amazing and staggering amount. And just, it's crazy. It's unheard of. So God actually hears from them. He sees that they're, they're being, you know, repentful and that, no, that's not a word, but he, <laughs> he sees that they're doing these things and turning from their evil ways. And he actually says, all right, fine, I'm not going to destroy this place. I'm going to give them grace and mercy. I'm going to give them something they don't deserve. 
and I'm going to give them another opportunity to change. And so Jonah hears this, and you would think that he would be like, man, just 120,000 people, just, you know, that's amazing. But no, he's upset. He doesn't like this because the thing he told them was going to happen is now not going to happen. And so that just absolutely just wrecks his world. He is so, he's been so selfish in this moment, I, I believe. And God shows him, and he's sitting out on the, on the hill, and he's looking out over the city waiting to see what's going to happen. And God shows him that he should have pity, that he should feel sorry, that he should have remorse and want those 120,000 people plus animals and the other things that God created to repent to him. And Jonah's heart finally breaks for them, and finally he understands. And I was reading an article um, from 2014. It was about uh, a man who went, and he sat in the general area that Jonah would have been sitting in, looking out over this area. And, and he wrote an, a little thing in his journal, and I'm just going to read it to you now. It says, The citadel here rises to an impressive height, in part because it has been built and rebuilt on its own rubble. Ancient Airbill has seen more than 50 centuries pass and has traded owners at least as many times. These battlements are layered with the bones of great empires. Even today, the citadel walls shelter only the latest round of ruin. The people here have a knack for making ruins. With Al-Qaeda back on the rise, car bombs and suicide bombers have shattered the streets and shops, killing hundreds in multiple cities across Iraq this year alone. <coughs> another sorry, bloody layer of ruin. Yet, when I think of Jonah's journey here, it reminds me that Christ has long set his love on these people, people who have seen and made so much bloodshed. God loved to show grace to his enemies, and even when Jonah didn't, because Jonah didn't want to come here, and in fact, it took a miracle to move him here took a miracle to get Jonah to do something that God wanted him to do. It took something miraculous. It took something insane before his people, his righteous son, would actually do what he asked him to do. And how many of us have been sitting around for too long? How many of us have been sitting idly by as we watch things go downhill around us, things that are going terribly wrong, things that we should be standing up against, but we're sitting back because somebody else will do it, right? God will send somebody. That's not, that's not for me. That's not my battle. That's Pastor Ben's job, or that's Pastor Leslie's job. Or, or, or we, we don't think to ourselves that we can make a difference because we think somebody else will come along, somebody maybe who's more influential, someone who, who maybe speaks better than I do, someone who's smarter than me, someone who has more of a better reputation than I do. We always just sit and think that, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, it'll work itself out. How long have we been doing that? How long have we refused to make a decision to do what God has asked us to do? How long will we sit idly by? Will we take a stand? Will we rise up together as a church, as one family, and stand for our county, stand for our towns and our people and our kids and our students, stand for them and tell them that we love them, tell them that we care about them, because there's an opposite story being told to them. In fact, I was at youth convention last Friday, 
And, I mean, my heart was absolutely shattered. I was looking forward to the weekend. I, I, I was so excited. Friday was going to be an awesome day, you know. Youth Commission is one of my favorite things that we do with our youth group. It's, it's one of the things that I see one of the most spiritual growth out of and numerical growth as well. And it's just an awesome weekend. And not only that, but Friday was also mine and Albie's five-year wedding anniversary. So we had an awesome weekend in store for us. And we had a great weekend. I'm not saying that we didn't have a good weekend. It was amazing. The whole, the whole trip was fantastic. You know, we got there safe. And, but during the, during the service that night on Friday night, Reggie Dabbs, he's a wonderful speaker, he, he did an altar call. And in that altar call, he invited students and adults in that room who were feeling thoughts of suicide, thoughts, of, and they had depression, anxiety. He asked them to step forward and come up front. And he, he says, I'm going to count down from 20. I'm going to count down from 20. And he said, I want you to come. I want everybody to come. If you're, if you're feeling suicidal, if you're feeling like this, he said, I want you to come. If you don't feel worthy, if you don't feel right, I want you to come. I want you to come up here. And he starts counting down 20, nobody came, 19, nobody came, 18, nobody came, and then 17, and I saw a girl out of the corner of my eye stand up in a row. And I can still see her face right now, I mean, as if I'm looking right at her. And she had glasses on, she had brown hair about to here, she was a little heavier set, she wasn't what people would say is pretty, or she didn't look like the popular girl. And she stood up, and when she stood up, she didn't look around to see if anybody was watching her. She didn't look around to see if people cared that she was getting up. She just was making a beeline for the freedom that Reggie said was here. And then she got up, and she came down. He continued to count down, 15, 14, 13. And kids everywhere in this auditorium are starting to run down to the front. And I'm not kidding. They were running to what they thought was freedom. Because Reggie said, there's freedom here. Come, come, there's freedom, you know. We can pray for you. And so these kids are running for, out of desperation because they've had so many awful thoughts in their minds, so many things that are running through their minds right now, things that, that the devil is lying straight to their face, telling them that they're not worthy, telling them that they're not worth it, telling them that they will not amount to anything in life that nobody cares and nobody will care until after you kill yourself and then you'll get the recognition that you get, that you need, that you deserve. And they're being lied to. And this is something that happens and it works because teen suicide in America is the number one killer of American teenagers. amount of students that came up there and they were huddled up. I mean, it was, it was a massive amount of students. And they were huddled up and Reggie looked at them. He told them, I love you. And I thought to myself in that moment, I wonder when the last time someone told them that they loved them. I wonder, I wonder who told them that last and actually meant it. I wonder if they feel love. I wonder if that's something that they can feel right now. And so... He asked him, he says, listen, I'm going to have you guys all go down 
to the foyer, and I'm going to have the Atlanta School of Ministry kids come, and they're going to pray for you guys, and there's going to be, you know, the deliverance and, and hope and freedom, and just they're going to encourage you and all this. And the kids start down the aisle, and I couldn't help it. I stood. I started clapping for them. I thought that was amazing. I thought it was just an awesome moment where God was going to set some students free, people who want to be free from these things. So I stand, and then people start standing around me, and we're all standing, and, and there's, you know, quite a few of us, and Reggie sees us, and he says, hey, yeah, everybody stand and give them a ovation. You know, cheer them on for this act of courage. And, I, and I'm like, all right. So I'm sitting there clapping, and I look around, and my heart breaks again because there's only like 40 people in a room full of like 1,200 who are willing to stand and, and applaud these kids. And I'm like, my God, what? What is happening in this time to where the church won't even stand and reach out to a group of students who are suicidal? They won't even stand and clap or applaud. It's not, it's not even like you're actually doing anything. You're just standing. Why can't you just do that? And I was thinking to myself, I hope we got that desensitized to the world today to where we're thinking constantly that somebody else will come somebody else will do something somebody will reach these students somebody some counselor some somebody a teacher a parent a youth pastor somewhere will reach out why are we waiting for someone else to do what god has called us to do if there's ever a place that the people should be able to come and say, hey, I'm feeling suicidal. I'm feeling like my life don't matter. I'm feeling like I can't go anymore. If there's ever a place that people should be able to come, it's here. It's the church. It's to us who are the church, people who need to reach out and stop thinking inward and stop thinking that other people are going to reach out when, you know what, God called you to do it. He called us to do it. And so my heart broke. And I can still see that girl's face. And I've been praying for her ever since. And I'll continue to pray because I don't know who she is. But I'm sick of sitting around and not doing anything. I'm sick of waiting. I'm sick of, I'm not going to wait for another teen suicide in our county before I do something. I'm going to start today. I'm going to start right now. I want to ask you as a church to join with me in the fight against not only teen suicide, but adult suicide. People who are afraid to come clean that they are feeling depressed because they're afraid that someone's going to think that they're crazy or wacko because that's not true. So today... <laughs> I want to ask you guys as a church, as a family, if you have ideas, if you have thoughts, if you have people in your mind who you know are feeling this way, I want you to reach out to me and we can come up with some kind of an idea, some kind of a form or method or something that can reach out to students, reach out to adults, reach out to people who need it, man, because there's so many people who are hurting in our county, so many people, and yet we don't do anything. We just live life somebody else will do it it's not me it's not my kids it's not my situation it's not in my church but it's your community and it's your mission field so if everybody would just stand with me today i didn't i'll be honest with you i didn't want to share any of that um
I didn't want to do that because I, I was like, I don't want to end on a really, really sad note or anything. But, um, you know, God, he just, like I said, it just absolutely has broken my heart. And I mean, it's like when I go to bed, I close my eyes, I see this girl. And then when I wake up, the first thing I see is this girl's face. And it's just been seared into my mind. And I'm not, I'm not going to wait around anymore to do something. And so... Today, I want to ask you if you guys will bow your head and close your eyes. First of all, if there's anybody in this room who has literally felt like my life don't matter, or maybe I don't feel well, or, or I'm feeling depressed, I'm feeling suicidal, if that's you and you're in this room right now, I want you to take just a second, don't raise your hand yet, but just take a second and just know that in this place is where you can come clean and you can say that that's me and that nobody's going to judge you and that we're going to love you and that we care about you and that we're going to reach out and pray for you and do everything in our power to make sure that you feel loved. I guarantee you that. So if you're in this room today and you felt those feelings and you're actively in that feeling or, or whatever, I ask that you just raise your hand so I can pray for you. So I could reach out to you. Absolutely, I see that hand. Thank you so much. I see that. I just ask that you would just join me in prayer right now. That you would call out against the lies that Satan has been telling our youth and our and our adults and our leaders. And, and I would just ask that you begin to pray and just ask God to change us, to equip us, to use us. Here we are, Lord. So just begin to pray. Father God, I, I love you so much, Jesus. And I'm so grateful, God, for, for everything that you're doing in our church life, God. I'm so grateful for the amazing, amazing adults that you put in this area, for the kids, God, for the students in this area. God, I asked that you would allow us, God, to be the change. God, that you would equip us to do something, that you would move in our hearts, God, that you would equip us and that you would cause us to arise and go, God, into Lewis County and that you would allow us, God, to make a huge difference and make a huge change in this area. God, no longer will we sit and wait for someone else to do what you've called us to do, but God, today we declare that we are going to go and we will do what you've asked us to do in your name. Not because we feel like we're strong enough. Not because we feel like we can do it on our own. But because we know that you will be with us, God. I thank you, Jesus, for the many people in this place. I ask you, God, that you would strengthen them, God. That you would pierce their hearts this morning, God. And that you would cause their minds to go to a place to where they're not thinking that someone else will do something. But that they're thinking, what can I do, God? What can I do? Send me. What can I do? Help us to think that. Help us to be that. I love you, Lord, and I thank you for everything. God, for the, for the ones who raised their hand today, Jesus. God, I know that you love them. God, I know that you, you care for them and that you have calling in their life, God. 
God, I know that that life can get bleak and dark and it can get awful sometimes, but I know, God, I know that you're good and I know that you're going to work everything from the good for those who are called to you today. So God, today I ask that you would bring a peace that no one can even understand, a peace that comes into their hearts today, God, and that would absolutely just make them feel like the most loved human being in that world, God, that they would feel like that you are directly on them, that you are speaking to them, that you love them, that you care about them, because you do, God. And you've called your child. And you said you are worthy. You're so worthy that I'm going to give my son for you. So God, I pray today that you would bring peace and that you would allow us to move into a place that we're allowed to do something for these people. We love you, God. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name.